Well, the most important thing that Noah, Pastor Noah, told me I had to do was our um, metaphor word picture that you are using all this summer when you are going through this series here on uh, 1 John. And I really love it because I love visual pictures, first of all. But I also really love water. And I think water is always a great um, metaphor for a lot of different things in life, right? We absolutely need water. We can go for a while without food. We can't go for very long without water. I see your giant water bottle. Indeed. <laughs> uh, my friends tend to make fun of me whenever I come to a meeting at work because I have at least three beverages with me at all time. There's always coffee, there's always water, and then something else. I don't know. Um, and so I think water is so important. And I love this picture of being filled with the water of God. Um, that there's always water flowing from God through us. And we can't help but drip the love of God that God gives us. Um, the love that comes in, the love that then comes out. Um, at Ada, one of the phrases we use that's similar to that is grace in and grace out. And I think there's a lot of similar words that we could use that we receive from God. Mercy from the Lord should drip from us to those around us. The forgiveness from the Lord that we receive should drip to those around us. Um, and the other thing that I really appreciated about this is that it's such a poetic way of thinking about water, of thinking about the love of God. And that worked out great for me today because the passage that Pastor Noah signed me is one of the very few poems in the New Testament. So we're going to think a little bit about poetry. And in your discussion today, I'm going to have you think about poetry. Now, I know not all of us are poetry fans, and that's 100% okay. Growing up, I disliked poetry. I am a kind of person, I love a lot of reading, but I want to read a novel, I want to read a story, um, and poetry is hard for me sometimes because it forces you to slow down. I can't just plow through a book of poetry and expect to find any meaning whatsoever. And so that's something that I've been learning in my life is to slow down and to appreciate just a small handful of words. And so a poem that I have for you today is by John O'Donohue, and it's about water. The title is Fluent. It says, I would love to live like a river flows, carried by the surprise of its own unfolding. I have a second poem for you today, and it's a haiku from a friend of mine. His name is Travis, and this is just a sweet little haiku about water. It says, raindrops fill my hand from ocean to heaven, here gently returning. These sweet, small words with so much meaning. And so for your discussion today, I have the poem on the screen. And just a couple basic questions. Do you generally like poetry? Why or why not? 
Either answer is perfectly acceptable. And then what is this poem here? What does it make you think about? And what kind of meaning might you see in these words? So, discuss. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Our circle had some great thoughts. Um, I'm sure there's tons of different ideas and thoughts that you all brought up. And that's one of the reasons that I just love poetry is because you can read it different ways um, and you'll see something new and fresh each time. Um, and the reason I, uh, I'm assigned the passage that is about poetry, but there's something about being the church that is poetry also. Being the church isn't just following a set of things that you do, following a set of rules or structures or actions or even thinking the right thoughts, but being the church takes our whole self. Being the church um, involves using our different senses to engage with the other people who are the church. I can't impose how I think about this poem on you. I can share it, and I can tell you how it makes me feel. But I want to inspire you to feel something, even though it's different quite often. So that's a little bit about what I want to talk about today, is being the church, and how we are all part of a huge interconnected family of faith that is continually being formed by God. But often there's a problem. I think we all feel it in different ways. And that is, and this is something that John is addressing in this writing, First uh, John, is that there's divisions. And we find it pretty easy to see divisions in our world, in our families, in our communities, even sometimes within ourselves. So, for example, an easy example is if you're a sports fan, raise your hand if you're a Michigan State fan. Couple, sure, I heard the boo. Raise your hand if you're a Michigan fan. Mm-hmm, okay. And the third category, raise your hand if you don't care or if you have a completely different team, okay? Right? So, the, I'm, I'm the lady that wears the I just hope both sides have fun t-shirt, Okay. But those are pretty strong feelings, right, that we have about our teams. We feel very strongly about them. If you go to a Whitecaps or a Griffins game, you see this other team that you've never heard of before, but they are the enemy, right? It's, it's them against us, us against them. We are divided. We're separated. And there's times when that's fun right? And that's part of uh, sports and that's part of these things. We see it come up in so many different ways. We see it come up in politics, right? If you've seen Hamilton or listened to any of the music, there were different perspectives that end in bloodshed, right? Because we feel so strongly and we put such stark divisions between each other. But as the family of faith that is constantly being formed by God, we need to step into the middle. And so maybe you've had that experience where 
you are on one side and someone's on the other of a particular position, opinion, perspective, and you come into it ready to fight, or maybe you stand in the middle and you feel completely isolated because you don't fit into either side and all you want is to have a nice meal without an argument. And so I think that John's readers felt this tension as well. Because one of the key things that John was writing about was this separation and this division that they were seeing in the church. And that's something that Paul wrote about all the time in his letters as well. These various divisions that were coming about in each of these different churches. And saying, we are one family of faith being formed by God. So I want to look at our passage for today, um, and this is in the New Living Translation. It's 1 John 2, and we're just doing verses 12 to 14. John says, I write to you who are God's little children, because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I write to you who are mature ones, because you know the one from the beginning, I write to you who are youthful ones because you have overcome evil. I wrote to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I wrote to you who are mature ones because you know the one from the beginning. I wrote to you who are youthful ones because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome evil. And I love that we get to see this poem in the New Testament because there are very few examples of poetry in our New Testament writing. In, in the old scriptures, in the first few books that the Jewish people followed, there is tons of poetry, all kinds of poetic writings. But we find very few of these in the New Testament, very few in the Gospels and the letters. And so... This has that alliteration, that repetition. And John's calling attention and writing to his family. All throughout the book of 1 John, he uses that family language. Dear children, dear friends, brothers and sisters, you know the Father, all this family language. And I use this New Living Translation because it really holds on to the poetic nature of the original language. But something interesting, if you look in like an NIV translation or maybe some of your more word-for-word -word exact translations, is that you'll see the three categories are God's children to fathers and to young men. And maybe John was specifically writing to the male demographic in his congregation. But because he starts off each of these two sections with dear children, God's children, he's talking to this whole large group. And we know, of course, in his large group, there are men, there are women, there are Greeks, there are Jews, there are slaves, there are wealthy owners. And so... John is writing to the wide group of people. And so instead of it being written to just the guys, it's written to the different ages um, or maturity that is represented. And so I want to stop and think about primarily children. John starts 
each of these two sections with, I write to you, I wrote to you, God's little children, God's dear children. And I don't know what you think about when you think about children. Maybe playful comes to mind. Innocent is often a word used with children. Maybe something that children always ask why or are always curious. If you're a mom, you might say children are always hungry. There's various different things that we think of when we think of kids. But one thing that we know to be true is that children should hold intrinsic value in a family. That they should be cared for and protected. And we know that children are vulnerable. My young toddlers can't go off and get a job and live on their own. They need to be cared for. They are dependent. And I think these are some of the ideas that John has in this idea of calling us throughout the book of John, of 1 John here, calling us God's dear children. We are dependent on God. We are vulnerable. And yet we are valuable and precious and beloved. And then John's going to move on to the next group. God's dear children, that is all of us, that is every single one of God's kids. But then he says, I write to you who are the mature ones. And not, John's not just saying, you old folks. I don't think it's necessarily an age kind of situation, but that it's the mature ones in the faith. Those of you who have been following Jesus for a little while. Those of you who are entrusted with the care of the children. Those of you who have earned wisdom and have it to share with those around you. And we think our mature ones, sometimes they don't get as much of the honor as they are due. Now, one thing to remember is as John is writing to these believers, this is a very new group of Jesus followers, right? The church of Jesus has not been around for long, longer than Mosaic, but not for a really long time, right? This is new. And yet there are mature ones in their family. There are ones who have been followers of Jesus for a longer period of time. And John's talking to them and he says, you know the one from the beginning. You know Jesus. And maybe you are one of the mature ones. Maybe you have walked with Jesus for a while and you've learned to hear Jesus' voice in your life. And if that's you, who are you guiding? Who are you walking alongside? Who are you discipling with your wisdom, with what you know from the one from the beginning? This knowing the one from the beginning, I think John refers to himself a lot. So in the first part of our New Testament, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And here in 1 John, this short writing, he refers back to what he wrote in his gospel quite a lot. And here I think he's talking about the very first lines in the gospel of John. And that's in John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This Word is Jesus. 
So he's referring to himself again later and saying, you know the one from the beginning, Jesus. He's the word. He was with God. Jesus is God. You know this God. And you have this knowledge to share with those around you. But the younger ones in the faith, they have their own gifts to share as well. The younger ones in the faith, if, if you think about age in general, we think of children as being, having tons of energy, right? The group in the back, they don't want to sit still for this whole thing, right? They got to go and they got to run and they got to play. <laughs> That's something for sure we know about those who are young. They have lots of energy. And something we know about patterns in poetry is that with repetition, whenever you see a change, you should pay attention. So if it's the same thing, the same thing, the same thing, something different, look at that. And so John has this, I say this, I say this. So when we talked about the young ones, I write to you who are youthful ones because you have overcome evil. And in the second section, he adds some other stuff. I write to you who are youthful ones because you are strong. We see that strength, vitality, and energy that the youthful ones have. I remember 20 years ago when I was in college, it was no big deal to pull an all-nighter when I had to do exams or write a paper. And now, if I do not get my sleep, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but it is a disaster, right? Youthful ones have more strength and energy. And then John also says, you have the word of God living in you. This is him referring to himself again. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is living in you. If someone asks you, where do you live? You might say the town you live in. You may say your street address. Maybe you give a landmark that you're next to this store or whatever. But that street address isn't just where you live. Your home is where you live, right? Your home should be where your favorite things are, your favorite people often. Your home should be a place that is safe. And maybe home for you isn't where you live right now, but maybe when you think of home, it's where you grew up or where your relatives lived, where you felt safe and known. But home is where you are known and loved. And Jesus wants to be known and loved in us. Here John is saying, the word of God, Jesus lives in you. Jesus is known to you. Jesus wants you to know him. So maybe you fit into the family of God as one of the younger ones. You're newish to the faith. You're still figuring out this Jesus thing. But we need you. We need your energy. We need your way of looking at things. And my question is, who are you learning from? Who's discipling you? How are you learning more about this word that lives in you? And there's a third group that's not mentioned here. But there's those of us who might 
not be mature ones, might not be youthful ones, but are still trying to figure out where they fit. Maybe you're not sure you even get any of this Jesus stuff or this God stuff. Maybe you're still questioning the entire system. And what I have to say to you is that you still belong. You still fit into this family of God. You are still loved and you're still God's child. We need the questions that you are asking. We need your perspectives and your experiences to help us pay attention to what we are doing and thinking. As children of God, whether we are mature in the faith, whether we are young, whether we are still questioning, we are all, that's not it, part of this huge interconnected family that is being formed by God. The thing that I was thinking about is, and we sang about it a little bit too, is this huge family of God. All around the city right now, groups of people are celebrating Jesus. Groups of people are learning how to be the family of faith. All around the world right now, people are learning how to be this family of faith. And I think if we account for time zones and prayer groups and daily masses, there is probably some sort of worship service happening all the time around the world somewhere. This huge family of faith that we get to be part of. This family of faith here in this space is connected to a bigger family. We are all together. And I love that picture. This huge family of faith being formed by God. And I want to speak to that last part, that being formed by God. Because each of us, no matter how we fit into this family, we are all constantly being formed by God. And the thing that I think is beautiful, too, in this passage is that God is doing the work the whole way through this poem that John has written. We aren't doing this work. So we see God's hands at the very beginning. God has created this family of children. God has put us together into this space right here. This is a communal, beautiful picture. And all throughout here, all throughout most of the letters, it is a communal picture of being written to the whole group. You see this word, you, I write to you, because you, I write to you. You see this word, you, all throughout the New Testament. And one thing I want you to think about, whenever you see the word you, especially in a letter, it means you all. It is almost always plural. And we don't have a great English way to translate a plural you anymore, right? It's yous, guys or y'all, or however works best to say it, right? But it's plural. It's not just me. It's not just you in your chair, but it's you all. So unless you see a letter in the New Testament being written to one person, it's always the whole group. It's you all. And so each one of these is a group communal thought. All of us, are forgiven. All of our sins have been forgiven through Jesus. 
are continually being forgiven as we continually step away from mirroring Jesus, right? There is no shame in Jesus because our sins have been forgiven. I write to you all mature ones because you know the one from the beginning. You know Jesus. God has enabled us to know who God is. We see this multiple times. You know the one from the beginning. And then in the second section, you know the Father. You know the one from the beginning. And the word of God, Jesus, lives in you. This is repeated, this understanding and knowing who God is. We can never know all there is to know about God. That is not possible. God wouldn't be God if we could understand everything about who God is. And yet, God desires to be known. God desires to dwell, to live, to call an address within us. Because God wants us to know God's self. And as we are being formed into Jesus' image, into God's image, we know God more and more. We are being formed as we know God. We know more about God by being present, to hear the scriptures opened. We know more about God by singing and speaking the words of scriptures. We know more about God by sitting in quiet presence with God. We know more about God by walking out in nature and seeing and experiencing the world that God has made. And we know more about God from each other. You have so much to teach each other. No matter how you fit into this family, you have something to teach. You have something to bring. And then finally, we God shows God's self active in the overcoming evil. And that part is re repeated twice, as every single section here is repeated again, repeated again, repeated again. You are strong because you have overcome evil. And I think, as he does a lot, John is referring back to John again from the gospel. And in John 16, 33, we have the story of Jesus with his disciples, and they're in an upper room. They're in a room in Jerusalem, and they're celebrating the Jewish Passover. And Jesus knows this is the last opportunity that he has to teach the most important things to his disciples that he's been walking with. Jesus knows this is the last chance that they're going to sit still and listen. And John records the, next, the verse that I'm going to share as the very last thing that Jesus says to them before they step out of this room and walk out to where Jesus will be arrested. And somebody's last words really matter. These last words of Jesus' teaching, he says to them, I have told you all these things, all this teaching that I've given you, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome. And when John reminds us of what Jesus said here in his poem, I don't think he's saying, you youthful ones, you have done the work to overcome evil. But I think he's saying, because the word of God lives in you, Jesus has done this work of overcoming for you. Jesus is overcoming for you.
And there was plenty of evil in their day to be overcome. They were facing regular physical persecution. They were facing these huge divisions where the church was about to split. They were facing the temptation to go back to their gods and follow the worship practices that they had grown up with. There were plenty of things that they needed the strength of Jesus to overcome. And not just by themselves through Jesus, but corporately as a group through Jesus, as a family together. Because we can't do this work on our own. We can't be strong on our own. We can't even know Jesus fully all by ourselves in a corner, but we know Jesus fully by knowing each other and seeing Jesus represented in different poetic ways in each one of us. We are in this together. We are part of being strong together, knowing God together. And so we have to remember what this togetherness of family means. Now, my kids are probably super sick of me saying this, but it's something that I say a lot. And it's, this is not how we talk in this family. <laughs> right? We need to be respectful of each other. We need to use kind words. And I know I need to be reminded of my tone of voice as well, because sometimes it's not the words that we say, but the way it comes out. And my face is really honest, and I've been told before, sometimes I need to be careful of what my face is saying, even if my words are fine. And as a family together, how do we think about the way we treat each other? With the words that are coming out, the tone that we use, and what, even what our face is saying. How do we interact with each other? So that we are not living into this us versus them, my perspective versus your perspective, my position versus my team, but we are one family. Do we go into conversations with people ready to prove our point, ready to make sure every idea that we have is proven, that we are right? Or do we go into a conversation with someone ready to learn from them? knowing that every person we interact with will teach us. No matter where they are, who they are, where they come from, there is something we can learn from everyone we interact with. And all of these people are the children of God with full human dignity, deep value, and worth. How do we interact as this family of God within the family, and with the world. It is not a church versus the world either. Because if we are in this family, we want everyone to be in this family. And if we have that perspective of us versus them with the rest of the world, they're not going to want to be in the family. How do we shine this love of family to everyone in our community? The world should know us by our love by our words, by what we do, how we love. This love that overflows through us constantly. The grace, the forgiveness that comes from God through us to those around us as we are this family of faith constantly being formed by God. 
You belong in this family. You are valued in this family. You have so much to contribute. And when we understand that we're part of this family of faith, constantly being in the work of forming, being formed by God, we can be confident in how we interact with others, that we have value to bring them and they have value to bring us. And so as we move from this thought into communion, this reminder that Jesus gave himself for us all, all of us together, and the idea that the church, being this family, being the church, is poetry. It's always unfolding, full of surprises. We need to use all of our senses, our hearts, our minds, our very being, to learn from each other and be part of it all. Let me pray. God, we're so grateful today that you have created this family and that we get to fit in it. We get to be a part of it. We're grateful for every single child of yours in this space. No matter how we fit, no matter where we have come from, we know that you are forming us and you love us desperately. And we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. And God, we thank you for the opportunity to remember your sacrifice. That you not only formed this family, you stepped physically into this family. You have become part of this family so that we can be wrapped up together with you. God, we praise you for that. And we are so thankful and grateful to call ourselves your kids. Amen. Amen.